0: Hey everyone, and welcome again to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo, and I am so excited about the show. I know I say it every week. Jay, you're always excited about your show. I know, but you know what? Here's the thing: I keep getting better and better guests every time I do the show. Listen, the other guests have been great, right? But the the, the new guests get to be phenomenal. And today is no exception. I have an amazing guest. This is—I'm telling you—today's show is a question I probably get so frequently I can't even tell you how often I get. It. I literally somebody asked me the other day, "What do I need to do to start a business?" And I thought, "Oh, that's a show. That's a show." Well, I've got the man with the answers today, and and we're gonna talk to him. But let's do what we do every week when we start the show, and that is let's talk about the four areas of your life and how are you doing. Right? We're four part people. We are physical people. We are mental people. We're emotional people. We are spiritual people. And how are you doing on a scale of one to ten? Let's start physically on a scale of one to ten. One being you're miserable, ten being you're outstanding. Where are you at on that scale of one to ten? Are you a three? Four? So, I mean, when I say physical, I'm asking you, you know, like, how's your diet? How's your exercise? What are you doing to get yourself better? And this isn't an issue of getting you from a 3 to a 10. I want you to get from a 3 to a 3.5, okay? What do you need to change just to get yourself a little bit better? What small step can you be doing today to help you physically, all right? Alright, there's the physical. Let's talk about the mental. What are you doing on a scale of 1 to 10? Where are you at and what are you doing to change your mental? So of I mean, you say, what do you mean mental? Well, we feed our stuff. We feed our brain all sorts of stuff. We feed our brain things like, you know, news, right? But it can, it can also affect us in a very negative way. But what are you doing to grow yourself? Like, are you reading books? What have you been reading? Are you reading something that's expanding your mind? Maybe you're taking up a new hobby like learning to do something with word working or painting or an instrument or maybe you're doing a learning a new language. All of that stuff helps your brain, helps that mental side of you. So where will you be on a scale of 1 to 10? All right, good. Let's go on to emotionally. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being bad, 10 being awesome, where are you at emotionally? And when I say emotionally, how well are you able to control your emotions? Are the little things getting to you? Are you just flying off the handle? Are you able to relate to other people's emotions? So where are you at today? Remember, it's not getting from you know a, a five to a ten. I wanna get, if you're five, you feel like you're average. Well, then get me to a five point five. But what do you got to do to help yourself emotionally? Do you need to you know sometimes exercise can actually help us emotionally, right? So because what it could do is we could get out some of that negative energy. And then sometimes it's just being intentional, going, you know what, I'm just not gonna let this hurt hurt me. I'm going to make a choice. And that can be all part of it too as well. And then and then finally, where are you at spiritually? And I get this all the time and I say it all the time. People go, Jay, I'm not a spiritual person. Well, yes, you are. I promise you that you have faith in something outside of yourself. You sometimes people even call it karma. They believe in karma, right? And, and you go, well, I'm an atheist. Well, okay, so what you're saying is you believe in yourself, right? You believe in what you do. So you've made yourself your own God. Okay, so be it. So how's that going for you? But if you do believe in God, well, great. How is that relationship going for you? Here's what we know when we're connected to something outside of ourselves. Is it giving you a sense of peace? Is it giving you a sense that you've got a centeredness, that you are able to get through life because what, we find is that when people are uh, developed in that spiritual area, they're just more solid people and they just, they just have a better way of being able to handle life. So, And think about these four areas as like the, the, the legs of a table, all right? Imagine that you have these four areas of the legs of a table on a scale of one to ten, and imagine they're off balance. Try eating off an unbalanced table, right, that the plate's going to slide off. Or well, if the table is all threes, how low would it be to try to eat off of a table? Right, We want to get that table into a good, stable place. So I'm going to ask you those things regularly. Well, now i got to tell you something, because I believe this person that I'm about to introduce you to is, I think, one of the most well-balanced people I know. And i and I, I, I got to be honest with you. He's more than just probably one of the most knowledgeable people that I know. He's really a friend. And so let me introduce you. His name is Jeff Snell. He is a principal broker and founder and COO of line business brokers and advisors. He is broker to one of the largest business brokerages in, uh, and advisory firms in the state of North Carolina. He sold over 100 businesses um, in, in as part of NLINE Business Brokers, he's completed over 500 business evaluations, he serves on the board of directors for the International Business Brokers Association, he is chairman of Certified Business Intermediary Credentialing Committee, um, Mergers and Acquisition Master Intermediary, he's a lifetime certified business intermediary. Yeah, intermediary and an accredited business intermediary and has been awarded the International Business Brokers Association Fellow of the IBBA, which is the International Business Brokers Association Award and was the 2017 Tom West Award winner. He is a speaker, he is a coach, he is a mentor, he is so much more, but he's also my friend. Would you please welcome to the show and Jeff, welcome to the show and everybody, this is Jeff Snell. Thank you Jeff for being on the show.
1: Well, thank you, Jay, for having me. That intro was uh, very flattering. Um, but of all the, the accolades you mentioned, I think, um, being, being among your friends is one of the highest honors. So, um, (laughs) thank you for that, that introduction and thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. And by the way, folks, I just want to let you know that
1: Jeff is being brought to you
0: today not by the le- not by a letter. I know. I almost said it. I was like, he's brought to you by the letter A, right? Remember my Sesame Street days? No, he's brought to you by the La Jolla Writers Conference. Whether you're an aspiring author who has yet to put pen to paper, someone intent on writing a book to augment your business, a writer on the cusp of submitting to agents, or someone who wants to know more about the different, never evolving, changing methods of publishing and publication the La Jolla Writers Conference is the place for you. It is October twenty sixth through twenty eighth at La Jolla, California, at the Hyatt Regency in La Jolla. If you're interested in more information, go to La Jolla Writers com. That's L A J O L L A Writers Conference dot com. And we are so grateful that they are sponsoring today's show and Jeff Snell
1: as well. So Jeff. Absolutely always always grateful for the sponsors for without them uh, we cannot exist. And by coincidence Uh, Jay, I've actually been to that hotel. Uh, It's a fantastic venue. It really is. Uh, This was probably 25 years ago, and I was uh, attending a venture tech conference uh, for a technology company that I owned at the time. But the only reason I raised the issue, aside from it being a a beautiful venue, is I actually met Michael Douglas in the elevator there.
2: (laughs) Really? I was standing
1: on the elevator, getting ready to go down to the conference room, and uh, the door stopped. And two guys with dark suits that were almost as big as you stepped on, and directly behind them, this guy stepped in, met eyes met, and uh, I smiled and he smiled back and he said, "Yes, it's me." Turned around, went down the elevator and got up, went about our business. <laughs> That's
0: fantastic.
1: Well, this conference—he was filming a movie at the time.
0: This conference is kind of unique because they—it is one of the there's 1,600 writers' conference across the country. This one is. Rated in the top 80 or so conferences of the 1600 and it literally they bring in volunteer folks who are best-selling authors publicists and people who do the publishing business and they it's like a one-to-five ratio because they only allow 200 people to get in to this right now you can't beat that Yeah, so it's really cool so uh, but it's really cool.' It's, it's a really cool event. That's why I really think that you know, and you know somebody, so many people, you and I've talked about this, you know, I, I've written a book and I know you're working on one, and you know it's it's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. Writing a book's not easy, and we have um, friends who who do it, and it's a tough business. So and speaking of business, one of the questions I get so regularly, and matter of fact, it just happened on Facebook. Uh, uh, somebody messaged me and said, how do i start what do i need to know what do i need to know to start a business and if you were if somebody came to you and said you know i am because this is what's happening in our world we don't want to work for anybody we want to work for ourselves we want to be able to set our own hours we want to be able to we want to be able to kind of control our own schedule we we want all that control but starting a business is hard so what, what should you consider? What should you think about if you're going to start a business?
1: Well, I, I certainly agree that starting a business is a, is a challenge and uh, one that many people aspire to but may be daunted by all the, the knowns and unknowns of what is required to do that. I would say the, the first and probably most important step, which may, may in fact be one of the easier steps, is to align yourself with a business attorney uh, who's familiar with the laws of the state and the, and the region, the county or city that you're in so that you're in simple compliance. The the last thing we want to do is start a business and start it it with problems that are going to start unfolding as the months and years go on, because we perhaps don't have uh, a permit that's required or we're not properly registered with the Secretary of State. These things are not complicated. They're certainly not expensive, but it's important to cross your eyes and dot your, or let's cross our teeth and dot our eyes Mm -hmm. uh, when we're getting these things off the ground so that we don't have uh, a lot of wasted time and effort down the road fixing things that could have been very easily handled by a competent uh, business attorney on the front end.
0: So okay. what my, the number two, I, I, I have listeners all over the United States, but the the lar- one, the number two most listened to state in that listens to this show on a regular basis, the podcast, and by the way, if you're interested in the podcast and you're an iTunes user, it's anditunes.com. If you just want, if you're an iHeart user, it's just A and D, that's a new direction, iHeartRadio.com, and you can just go and listen to pick up podcasts podcast there. But California is my number two state that listens to this show, downloads the most podcasts. Is, is there is, I mean, is there something significantly different about when you talk to starting a business? Is, there, is Are state laws that diverse that they could be that different?
1: well they really are and i'm glad you mentioned california california and florida um, are known as jurisdictions that have a lot of of business guidelines and requirements to stay compliant within their jurisdictions Uh, california is especially known for their environmental concerns so depending upon the type of industry uh, or business that you're trying to start uh, you may need to have certain clearances um, the easy example is if you if you want to uh, operate a service station, vehicle service station, or a, a, a gasoline station, uh, EPA is going to do phase phase one, two, and three uh, ground studies to make sure that the the, the uh, land is not contaminated. Uh, if it is, then there's remediation cost and brownfields, and you know, these are all things that again a competent uh, business attorney can can guide you through. Uh, it shouldn't be scary. Shouldn't be terribly cost. Uh, costly, uh, but it's important to to make sure that you, you've entered into this new venture uh, in a way that you're not setting up problems that are going to come back and haunt us down the road.
0: So great advice, Jeff. And, and by the way, we're Jeff Snell, COO and founder of Inline Business Brokers, and we're talking about starting a business and we're going to talk about what makes business successful. But one of the things, I, I'm curious about, and I and I completely understand that you know you want to kind of create the foundation with the attorney and the business attorney, kind of get all your eyes dotted and T's crossed. But after that, then I mean, did, I mean, is there is there a kind of like a money ratio? Like if you're interested, let's say, I literally had somebody ask me they wanted to run a like a you know a quick shop, some sort of gas station slash you know, food shop, right? And some yeah, convenience store. And somebody was asked, "Thank you." I couldn't find that word for whatever.
2: <laughs> reason. That's okay.
0: So, is there a money? I mean, do you need to think? How do you think manage the money part, right? Because I mean, I think people think, you know, I need, I just need enough money to get by the business. But I mean, is there a money ratio that you need to work out before you get into it? All right, are we back? Uh, well, let me tell you. Let me, okay, so for everybody that doesn't know, we kind of lost electricity here for a second. I'm actually out at the beach right now, at Carolina Beach, and we had just, we had just lost uh, power, and uh, because we're, we're 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 matter of fact, Michael's coming through right now. Hurricane Michael. For those of you who are wondering what's going on, so Hurricane uh, Michael just came through and it shut down the electricity here at the beach house, and so. Uh, we uh, we are uh, we're back and we're going to pick up where we uh, left off, and uh, we we're matter of fact going back live again uh, on Facebook uh, for those people who are wondering where we've been. So if you hear a glitch in the show, ladies and gentlemen, it's because we literally we uh, literally the wind came through and shut down our electricity for a moment, and we had to reconnect <laughs> with uh, Jeff Snell, and we're talking with Jeff Snell, CEO and a founder of Inline Business Brokers and Advisors, and we are talking about starting a business and is what we're doing today, and of course, he's brought to you by the La Jolla Writers Conference, and that's LaJollaWritersConference.com. And so, Jeff, we were we, before we got rudely interrupted by Hurricane Michael, uh, we, we were talking about the money issue of, you know, I want to get into a business. Is there a money ratio that we need to know? Did I lose you again? Hello? Jeff? Says that you're here, Jeff. (laughs) All right, well, we lost Jeff again. This is the part, this is what happens, man. I mean, you're dependent on electricity. All right. <laughs> we're back round three. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, you you, you did mention to the, to the listeners that we're at a, I, I haven't actually looked online, but I think we're at a stage three or stage four tropical storm. It, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, central, northwest, east and south, about dead center of the state where Jay resides most of the time, and it is pouring down rain here with uh, interesting winds and trees swaying, so we're going to do the best we can.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think where we left off, we were talking about the, uh, some of the risk factors in starting a new business, yeah, and one of those that we were talking it. about specifically yeah. was uh, capitalization. Yeah. And capitalization, for those who, who don't use a lot of monetary terms, is simply how much money that you've brought to this endeavor uh, to get it off the ground and hopefully get it to a cash flow positive state before you run out of said uh, capital. So being undercapitalized is the number one reason that I see businesses fail or, or even not be able to achieve the growth that they're capable of because what is counterintuitive to some is that growth can actually be a very damaging and dangerous to a young company because as you increase sales and service, depending upon your industry, you're having to carry receivables, which is the amount of money that the client owes you for delivering that product or service over time. And typically, uh, commercial receivables are 30 days. What that means is, as you are more and more successful, you have more and more people that are owing you more and more money for 30 days. Well, your vendors, unless they're also providing you those same 30 or more day terms, you're gonna get yourself into a crunch and you're gonna be very successful. Sales are gonna improve month over month, quarter over quarter, perhaps even year over year, but your bank balance is going down and down and down. That doesn't mean that you're running the business uh, inefficiently or that you're making bad business decisions. What in fact it means is, you're probably making very good business decisions. Operationally, you're probably sound, uh, you're efficient in your expense management, but simply by the sheer growth and the requirement to have capital to fund those sales of of purchases and services that you've delivered to your clients, puts some out of business because then the vendors start tightening their terms and a downward spiral can, can commence that ultimately can crush a business. So, so that's the number one concern that I have when I'm talking to someone that's contemplating starting a new business.
0: So I mean let's just let's, let's just run through an example. Let's say let's say you're going to spend uh you're gonna get into a business. Let's just say a half a million dollars, five hundred thousand dollars, right? And let's say that's the cost of the business. That's the cost to buy the business. How much money should I probably have Is there a percentage, is there some sort of a percentage that says, okay, if you're going to buy a business that costs you $500,000, this is how much you should have on reserve?
1: Well, there is. Let me point out a, 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 I guess, a a point of order, so to speak. So we're talking about starting a business. And in some people's definitions, starting a business can be inclusive of buying a business. But in my industry, which is is business brokerage and, and helping people buy and sell businesses, uh, we, we differentiate starting a business from buying a business as being really completely different animals. So, starting a business is you're going to choose a name, you're going to choose an industry. Of course, you're going to have to bring some money for marketing and initial startup costs, perhaps some salaries, uh, buying initial product to, to resell, you know, you're know you going to have those costs. That That's one way to, to get into business and being an, being an entrepreneur. But Another, and again, different in our view, way of becoming an entrepreneur is to buy a business. So if, when the questions specifically ask about buying a business and financial ratios, those numbers are, are much more known and easier to, to discuss because we have a lot more data. A, a startup business can have so many variables, it's very difficult to talk definitively about what type of reserves might be appropriate. But when we're talking about purchasing a business, We're going to expect that we have at least a year probably three and hopefully more years of financial information from which we can do what's called a working capital calculation and we can look at that business's historical activity its income its expenses and we can determine how much money or working capital is needed to operate that business without ever going below zero in your company's operating account that's what of course everyone's trying to avoid so working capital is at a very simplistic term, the amount of money that a business owner chooses to keep in their operating account so that they never go below zero. And almost every business owner I've talked to can tell me, how much money do you like to keep in your your business bank account? And without having to do any kind of fancy calculations or pull out a calculator, you can almost bet that's going to be the working capital they require as a new owner, to continue operating the business in a similar fashion to the way that the seller or the founder operated the business before it was sold.
0: That's great information. Okay, so I, I, first of all, I think this is really, this is really, really a great piece of information because I think you're right when you say that when, when we talk about starting up a business, I think we kind of lump sum it. You know, whether I'm doing this ground up from zero and I'm built, you know, starting creating something from nothing, basically. Or I am purchasing something new, and I'm starting something new because I'm purchasing it. I'm getting into a new field. I think that distinction is really, really important. And and so let's let's talk about the buying business piece because I think I think when people start a business, you know, you know, like for me, someone who has started from ground zero and is trying to build, you know, is has been building his thing, you know, of speaking and authoring and and can you know my coaching and that type of thing someone who's been building that from the ground up it's a very different animal but there are people who want to buy an existing start a new business by buying an existing piece of real estate or buying existing business so should they contact should they contact like you in order to get those evaluations or where do they go to get those you know performance evaluations prior to purchasing, let's say, a new business?
1: Okay, let me answer a question you didn't ask that okay. will end up answering it, if I may. Okay, sure. Um, so, in, in, in the United States, the leading business for sale website is bizbuysell.com. I'll give them a little plug, B-I-Z-B-U-I-S-E-L-L.com. Uh, virtually every professional business broker in the country uh, lists all of their clients there. And there's many for sale by owner listings as well, which would be where the business owner is uh, listing the business themselves to sell without the assistance of a broker. Typically a business buyer is going to identify their, what we call the target, the company that they want to buy prior to identifying the broker. So unlike real estate, we don't typically have a broker representing the buyer. So in 15 years and several hundred transactions, as we said at the top of the show, um, I've only had one instance where a buyer was represented by a business broker. Mm -hmm. And that's because different from real estate, we're almost always the buyer and the seller have a realtor involved to help them through the process of on the sell side, marketing on the buy side, evaluating different properties, uh, assisting with lending and the contracts, of course. In business brokerage, the buyer generally relies on their corporate counsel, which is a business transaction attorney. Now notice that that's not the same phrase I used uh, at the top of the hour when we were talking about uh, the first step in starting a business would probably be contacting a business attorney. So a business attorney is someone who understands business law contracts. They can file your LLC or your, your C-Corp paperwork. Uh, they can assist in collections and you know general business type of things. But a business transaction attorney is different in that they specialize specifically in the purchase and sale of going concerns. Somebody who's a business attorney is not uh, de facto qualified to be a business transaction attorney. Mm-hmm. Although a business transaction attorney is certainly going to be able to file all of your corporate paperwork, et cetera, that, that you would expect of a, of a more traditional business attorney. So, with that being said, the, the, the purchase of a business is, is likely to fall on the seller's broker and the buyer's attorney to work through due diligence. Uh, towards closing so it, to, the short answer to your your first question although admittedly I answered a second question is i would not as a business buyer look to retain a business broker i would look to find the perfect target and then use qualified business transaction attorney to help me with due diligence and documentation of that transaction from a letter of intent through the definitive document which is usually called the asset purchase agreement or the definitive purchase agreement
0: so okay, so let's let's. I, I, you said the word, You said you said some words here that I think are really important because you said once you identify the perfect target, and and what we're talking about is the the perfect opportunity, is what we're talking about here. Well, so give us from your perspective, you know, how should you go about evaluating something as being the perfect target or the perfect opportunity if you're looking to buy into a business to
1: that you're going to take over. Oh, wonderful question. So, and, and this, is, this is a question, I chuckle because you mentioned earlier, you get asked this question a lot. That's a question I get asked a lot. So in identifying uh, potential targets, uh, buyers look for the same things almost in the same order. The first criteria is generally geography, because in general, people don't want to move. You know, they're entrenched in their neighborhoods, their schools, their churches. Um, th- they are interested in business. And and many times people will relocate themselves and their families families for a business opportunity. But in the vast majority of cases, they don't. So number one criteria is geography. Is is the business physically located or doing business in an area that I already live in or I very much want to live in with my family? The second is industry because we might have the perfect location, you know, for me would be perhaps downtown Raleigh if I was looking at a business. Mm -hmm. But, Uh, If if the business does something that I have no interest in, perhaps it's a tire retreader, nothing wrong with tire retreaders, but I don't personally have an interest in owning one, then my second criteria, just because it's in Raleigh or in a a location that I like, it isn't going to make it an ideal target. But let's assume that it is a business that I'm interested in and it's located where I want. The third criteria is going to be, is it a business that I can afford? But hand in hand with can I afford it is- Will it provide what we call a livable wage after debt service? Mm. Because if it's in the right place, it's in the right industry, I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to be fun and I can't afford it. Well, that's kind of a non-starter. But even if I can afford it, but after my debt service, I can't maintain my lifestyle. I can't pay my mortgage, you know, kids tuition, perhaps food, insurance, all those things we all have. Then, of course, that's a non-starter, too but let's assume that they are. So we've got it where we want, the kind of business we want, the price that we can afford that's going to produce a livable wage after our debt service, what do we have left? Well, then we have the question of, is it properly priced? Just because you can afford it and it produces the revenue or the cash flow after your debt service that you need, doesn't mean that it's fairly priced. It could be grossly overpriced and and those answers still be yes. So it's important to have a general knowledge, and your your corporate transaction counsel can certainly assist with this. And and to some extent, the seller's broker is not your enemy. That this is not like you know we're walking into into an episode of Law and Order where you know both sides are pitted against one another. It's a very collaborative process, or it should be a collaborative process where the buyer is can and should be able to rely on the seller's broker to assist in their due diligence, answering questions. Uh, producing financial reports uh, recasting financial documents etc you know even even to the extent of providing leases uh, introducing uh, landlords broker to to negotiate new leases etc so again it's not necessary in my opinion uh, and probably not even beneficial for a buyer to have a business broker it's an added expense that I think has you know a, a rate of return that that's not equal to, to the cost. I uh, assuming that you have the, the proper corporate counsel and a, a qualified business broker on the sell side, who's working in a win-win uh, capacity. So something that, that I'm asked uh, in conjunction with that question, very f- frequently that I'd like to talk, speak sure, to, sure. is how do you determine if that business is properly priced?
2: Yeah, that's, you
1: know, yes. If you've never bought a business before, how in the world do we decipher that? It's a, uh, It's an interesting question that doesn't have any obvious answers. So again, we're going to have to speak in the realm of what happens in most cases, in most transactions, we're going to have outliers. Uh, there's intellectual property involved or, um, you know, there's certain factors that can make prices go up very quickly. But in the absence of that, in our quote unquote, normal transactions, what we're looking for is a business that's obviously profitable. And we're going to look at that profit in our industry called Seller Discretionary Earnings. There's a couple of phrases for it, but we'll just limit it to that for the purposes of this podcast. So you, you
0: said, so you said your seller, seller Discretionary Earnings, so is, is there a simpler way of,
1: of phrasing
0: that, what that is, just for the listener's sake?
1: Well, there's a, there's a way that I think is simple, but some of the people I've shared it with don't think it's so simple, but I'll share it with you and we, sure. can, we can hammer it out. Sure. So my definition of Seller Discretionary Earnings is the amount of money that the owner can take out of the business without harming it. Okay. And it's expressed as an, it's expressed as an annual figure. Got it. Got so, it. um, like let, let's say, let's use, I love using hot dog carts as an example because I've never sold one and probably never will. But <laughs> let's say we have a hot dog cart okay. and the hot dog cart is owned and operated by Joe. Joe sells thousands of hot dogs a year. He's got a great location. Uh, he's making a hundred thousand dollars a year salary. But he's also paying for a trip to the Bahamas once a year with his family, which they're calling their annual meeting, you know, legitimate tax deduction. Um, He's also paying for his gas to and from the corner that he works his hot dog cart, which is not a a Department of Treasury allowed business expense. That's considered a personal expense. Um, You know, he may donate $100 to his son's soccer team, you know, or or, uh, sponsor his daughter's uh, uh, ballet recital with a one-page advertisement. These are our discretionary non-business expenses. So they get added to that $100,000 salary. And ultimately, all of those addbacks are what we call recasting because it sounds nice. Some people call it normalizing the financial statements. So they reflect what the new owner would expect to be able to do. Right. doesn't matter if he if he spent $100 on Johnny's soccer team. Uh, the new owner could put that into W-2. He could leave it in the company. It's, it's discretionary income, seller discretionary earnings. So if that number, when we're all done with our recast uh, for Jim's hot dog card is $125,000 a year, we're going to expect that to sell for two to three times the $125,000. And you say, well, why? Well, we're, you just pulled that out of the air, Jeff. What's that all about? <laughs> well, two to three times seller discretionary earnings means... Mathematically, that if you were to buy Jim's company for two to three times $125,000 to seller discretionary earnings, that in two to three years, after working that business the way that Jim worked it, and presumably also having $125,000 of seller discretionary earnings, it would be paid off. So that—that's your future cash flow. We're expecting $125,000 a year. Now. We're not paying I haven't given you a debt service calculation because if we're paying two hundred and fifty to three hundred and twenty five thousand dollars for this business, we're probably going to put ten to fifteen percent down. The rest is going to be finance, and of course, we're going to have to pay that principal and interest out of the one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars of seller discretionary earnings. But the majority of that's principal, and it's really coming right back to us when we sell the business again anyway
2: right right, right,
1: right, right. but but that's an important ratio that two to three times seller discretionary earnings is important. So if you're on biz by sell and you see this great business and it says seller discretionary earnings is $100,000, but the asking price is $600,000. Well, back back into the math, that's six times seller discretionary earnings. Wow, wow that seems like double normal, right? right? Well, it is double normal. Let's Let's find out why. It may be completely justified because the purchase price might include a $350,000 building. Got it. So we would net that out, it's really not a six times multiple, it's probably a two and a half times multiple plus $350,000 building. But so that that's one ratio that we, well that's two ratios that we want to know. Down payment to enterprise value and purchase price is 10 to 15 percent. You want to buy a million dollar business? You need to have 100 to 150,000 liquid.
0: Right. Wow. So, okay. That, so, so, okay. This is, alright, so this is really, this is amazing information because I think when people People think that they're going to buy into a business and they're going to start a thing. I think there was, I love what you said, first of all, and that is, and I want to make sure that everybody heard what you said. First of all, I don't care, real estate's real estate, whether it's business or residential, location, location, location is the number one factor for a variety of reasons. One, you want to, I mean, unless you have a hot dog cart where you can actually move your location, I mean, and, but, I mean, the truth of the matter is that most, most of these businesses are stationary buildings, so you want to be in a location where you're going to want to live and where your business is going to be successful. I love that. I think, secondly, I think it's got to match your what you said, and I'm going to phrase it in a different way. It's got to match your um, aptitude, skills, abilities, and passions. Passion. Passion on some level, right? Because, you know, you you cannot just get into a business thinking, okay, I'm just going to do this for the money. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're just going to do something for the money, eventually you're just going to hate it because nobody wants to go to dread. No, you know, you want to go to something that you're enjoying along the way and that it fits what, you've been, what you're made to do. And we're all made to do different things. So I think that's really cool that those two things are at the top. And then, of course, three is the, you know, do you have the financial wherewithal? To be able to purchase it, and then and then what we're just talking about for, are you making? Is this really is this really worth what you what you say it is? I mean, and and I think that those four things are really critical, and I think they're really overlooked because I've actually never heard anyone ever say those in that order, ever. I mean, I've heard location, location, no. location, but I've never heard anybody else sure. talk about the other three in that order.
1: Well, I jumped in with you in stereo when you said passion because passion without passion, I would not recommend somebody start a business or buy a business uh, for the very, very same reason that you stated. It's not going to last. You can make millions and millions of dollars a year. I have clients that make millions of dollars a year, but they don't like what they're doing. That's why they're selling. So if you think that the money is going to substitute or replace the passion the fire in your belly the enjoyment um that that je ne sais quoi that wakes you up at 2 a.m and says i'm going to go ahead and write that proposal because i'm so excited about the opportunity mm-hmm. if that's not there then then guys just don't do it um yeah i, I lecture regularly at uh, unc keenan flagler uh, MBA school ted dollars the dean's fantastic program a world-class you know, rated top three, top five, depends on who you ask. They're in the top, though. They're always in the conversation. Phenomenal program. I was there this past weekend um, judging a business plan competition, and there was a particular um, plan concept that was being pitched. We were in, in small rooms, three judges, um, one, one student, MBA student, and um, one of the judges asked him, are you really launching this business? Because it is, it's, it's an assignment. You know, right. there's no, no prerequisite or expectations. They actually launch these businesses, but it was a great idea. It was a really great idea. And um, he said, well, yeah, I think I can see how it'd be really profitable, but I'm not excited about it. Wow. The passion wasn't there. He had a great business idea. And I, I wish I could share it. I, I can't, but sure. it was it, fantastic. Well thought out. I mean, the guy the guy got an a in the course he got an a for the for the, sem- for the semester and everybody graduated at the end of the at, at the end of the uh the contest this weekend but if you don't have the passion you're going to wake up one day and it's just going to be for what because the money's not going to carry the day it, you may think it will but it doesn't right
0: no i know I, you're right i mean i think I think this is what I think this is a piece that people miss when it comes to you know whatever you're doing in life. You know, I interviewed John Tamney uh, a few weeks ago. He he wrote a book, The End of Work: Why Your Passion Can Become Your Job, and he great author. By the way, I really recommend people read it and you listen to the podcast as John. Uh, it, it's it's a few podcasts ago, and you can of course go to iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify. And by the way it's really easy whatever if you're a Google Play user just go and www.and for a new direction googleplay.com you can listen to the to the podcast there if you're an iTunes user it's www.anditunes.com and you can you can listen to it there and by the way we're talking with Jeff Snell COO and founder of Inline Business Brokers Advisors. We're talking. Hey, Jeff. This day is Jay. Hi, everybody. We're, we're back again for the third time. But i got to tell you, so when you do, I've done radio now for the last couple of years. I've done, been on a radio show, co-host radio show, and we've had these type of issues happen before where you just go down. There is just, you know, unless you have, even if you have a generator, there's really nothing you can do. When the internet's gone and electricity goes off, uh, sorry, it, it, this is what this is what happens, and especially because we're live on Facebook right now and uh, doing this. And by the way, let me just reintroduce what we've been doing. <laughs> we're talking with Jeff Snell, CEO and and founder of Inline Business Advisors. He's been gracious enough to be on the show today, uh, and being patient enough for me to recall him on a couple different occasions. And he's talking. We're talking about business, getting in, getting into business. Whether it's starting from scratch, but we're talking about buying into business. And he's brought to you today by the La Jolla Writers Conference. That's La which is October 26th through 28th at the Hyatt Regency in La Jolla. For nearly two decades, community intimate classes, personalized attention, ambiance, and a dedicated and outstanding faculty have annually converged to provide an intensive experience where writing becomes habit habit breeds success and writers become authors. And this is a terrific conference. There's going to be over 70 classes in which to choose. You have publishers, agents, screenwriters, writing and PR experts. You are going to have best-selling authors. Publishers, I'm telling you there's a number of classes that you're going to be able to go to. They're going to help you Get through writing your book. How to write your book in the right way? It's going to be fantastic. There's over 1,600 writers conferences a year. The La Jolla Writers Conference is considered to be in the top 80 of those. So by Readers Digest, Writers Digest, sorry, by Writers Digest. So check them out. Go to com That's La Jolla, L-A-J-O-L-L-A, WritersConference.com. Tell them you heard about us on a New Direction. And again, that's October 26th through 28th. So, Jeff, we are talking about buying into a business. And I, I, I think I was actually getting into talking about the sponsor of today's show. Uh, when we got cut off, I think that's where we were at. Yeah,
1: okay. no, absolutely. I, I'm just glad that, to my knowledge, anyway, there's no Russian hackers involved in these technical difficulties, and it's purely uh, uh, Hurricane Michael related. So yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed on that. but I, I think when uh, the goblins struck last, uh, you were talking about a, a prior guest uh, who it, yeah, who George, was yeah. Uh, yeah. very entertaining, as I recall. Yeah. and really, you know, he, his message to me embodies the concept that if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. Mm. I, I realize that that's a, a formal quote attributable to somebody else. But uh, the point being, his point uh, and our point is that when you're looking at starting a business or, or, or perhaps buying a business, if you don't love it, you probably shouldn't even start down that path. But if you do you can start using some of the tools that, that uh, Jay and I have been talking about in valuing a business, finding a, a business transaction attorney that can assist you. And if, if you happen to be the buyer um, where you can find a listing on this, and hopefully en- engage with the seller's broker uh, who's experienced and competent and has a, has a win-win mentality for that transaction, not only for his client, but of course uh, for the buyer. and. Uh, I'm really passionate about that concept because the first time that I had an individual contact me to represent them in the sale of the business that I had sold them the business was a, it was, it was, it was ground changing. I I had never contemplated. I hadn't planned for it, but I realized that here's an individual in a high value transaction because it doesn't matter if someone's buying a hundred thousand dollar business or a $25 million business. And I've been involved in, in, all all in between um it's a lot of money to them if if you're if you're engaged in a hundred thousand dollar transaction, it's because that's the range that is viable to you and if you're in a 25 million dollar transaction it's because that's the range that's viable to you and to you the buyer it's a lot of money you want to make sure that you have a strong team around you and that on the i'll say opposite side but it, it really should be a collaborative process. The opposite side being the seller side should be supportive of you and not an antagonist or a, a protagonist in the process.
0: So, and, and I mean, that's terrific advice because I, I, I think, first of all, we don't, I, I think most people don't even understand what it takes to, to like buy a business and move into it. And I want to talk about something that's kind of more popular that maybe you can help us walk through here a little bit. And that's buying into a franchise. I have a friend who is a franchise business guy. I mean, he literally sells people franchises. I mean, that's his, that's what he does. That's, um, and by the way, I just want to give a shout out. uh, Carmen uh, Marzella, who happens to be our business attorney, is joining us on the show today. He's listening in. And so thanks for listening, Carmen. Uh, But anyway, franchises let's talk, what are the, what are the, what's the pluses and minuses of, of getting into a franchise? Is there is you know, are there, ne- I'm sure there's got to be negatives and both positives to it. So what, I mean, cause some people will, you know, I hear a lot of people go, you know, I bought a, you know, carpet cleaning franchise or I bought a, you know, franchise for a convenience store or a part of a franchise or whatever the franchise is. What, how is that different or is it?
1: Well, it is different. Um, franchising, uh, I, I think most people are familiar, but I'll do a, a very quick uh, synopsis. So franchising, think McDonald's, think Subway, um, you know, think major global multi-billion dollar uh, brands that specialize in perfecting a business model, packaging it, and selling it and replicating it to franchisees. So you have a franchisor, that's the, the concept owner, And you have franchisees and those are the the individuals that that purchase uh, generally territories or locations different franchises work different ways but essentially you're purchasing the right to represent that brand in a particular market or location Uh, very popular in food service uh, very popular in personal services you mentioned uh, carpet cleaning etc so the purpose and the success of the franchise concept, in my perspective, has been that it, it brings an opportunity that's been tested, vetted, and properly cap- capitalized from a, uh, a marketing perspective. So it, it, it'd be very expensive and time prohibitive to fully flesh out what a properly designed franchise system would have done for your single location. It also brings an operating plan and all the documents to go with it, employee agreements, employee handbooks, you know, all the stuff that true entrepreneurs probably don't really care about, but we know we need in a package where you can, you can buy into that franchise system, follow their instructions, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but follow their plan and expect, quite frankly, to be successful because they've already tested it in other markets, Uh, in in hundreds of markets in in many cases. And uh, you mentioned Carmen Marzella a moment ago. Carmen Marzella is probably the model transaction attorney that I was referencing uh, several times throughout this call. He does incredible work uh, based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And he is a, no exaggeration, world-renowned franchise transaction attorney uh, with the Dunkin' Donuts brand. Uh, He himself has owned Dunkin' uh, franchises, and he's world-class. There's just, frankly, no other way to uh, to summarize it. Uh, but getting back to the, to franchises, as a business broker, franchises are a way for individuals who may not be as entrepreneurial as others to still be business owners and have a reasonable expectation of success. So I think the classic example is the IBM executive. We use that here in Raleigh because IBM has a large um large presence here second, probably only to their presence in New York. And when, when people decide that they no longer want to work for big blue or whatever big corporate is, and they're looking at business opportunities, they may not be as entrepreneurial as it takes to, to start something on their own or even to buy a business. That's not a franchise that doesn't have all the structure that a franchise can bring. Mm -hmm. So franchising in my view is an opportunity for people, to get into business, to be entrepreneurial, but kind of not ride coattails, but, but stand on the, on the shoulders of the franchisor who has, has fully fleshed out, tested, and proven their model. Now, when it comes to franchise resales, as a business broker, I don't see the creme de la creme. The, the, my friend who owns 14 McDonald's in this county is never gonna call me to sell them because there's an instant market and they're going to be sold. Okay. But the XYZ carpet cleaning franchise, for example, that was not particularly well thought out, um, might not be as legitimate as some other franchise systems. They're looking to sell because it's not working for them. They're they're typically looking to sell because their royalty payments are more than they can afford to pay themselves. Now, that's not always the franchisor's fault. Sometimes franchisees don't don't deliver. Sometimes they don't meet the commitment that the franchisor said they would need to, to be successful. So not throwing anyone under the bus, sure. but in general, franchising and franchise resales are a different animal than someone who's reached true retirement age and is looking to exit their business because they happen to be 72. Got it. Got it. Generally Got it. someone who's selling the franchise uh, from my experience is selling that franchise because they have not been able to be successful with it. So right. it, some people love franchising. Some people don't. I have, there's a franchise broker that, that participates regularly. I mentioned earlier in the Keenan Flagler program, uh, MBA school, her name is Anne. She's out of uh, Atlanta. Uh, she's a UNC MBA graduate, right. uh, very well known, very well respected in franchise resale. She works exclusively helping individuals, usually displaced or retired corporate executives, um, match with a franchise system that, that meets the criteria that frankly, we talked about earlier, that's, that's universal. It's where they want geographically. Uh, It's an industry that they're interested in, that they can be passionate about a keyword that we've, we've touched on more than once in this podcast uh, that they can afford, that's going to generate a return after debt service that allows them to maintain their lifestyle.
0: That's awesome. We're talking with Jeff Snell, COO and founder of Inline Business Advisors. We're talking about getting into business, whether you're starting from scratch, whether you're going to buy a business. We've even just talked about franchising a little bit here and what what the pros and cons are of of that type of business, getting into that type of business. Jeff, one of the things that you're saying to me here as I'm listening to you in this conversation, and we've kind of thrown the word around a little bit, and that is the word entrepreneur. I I have I have folks who want to say that there's an entrepreneurial type of personality. As a, as a psychological professional, I don't know that I agree with that. I think there are. I think the entrepreneur has a certain set of skills, desires, passions, and maybe that's a personality. I don't know. But I, I I've always thought that maybe there's a book out there somewhere that says you know you may not be an entrepreneur. I mean, do do you see? You, you've, you've done so many business transactions and you've, you've, you've sold businesses to people who probably have never owned a business before, I'm certain, probably on several occasions. Do, do you kind of get a sense of who's going to be successful, those, those people who are buying a business? Do you, do you get a sense, I mean, even before this transaction is closed, if they're going to be successful or not as a business owner?
1: You know, it's not something that I, I consciously think about but if I look back over the last 15 years of, of business purchases and sales, um, again, mostly on the sell side, but 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 sometimes on the buy side, I expect every buyer to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I'm not looking through rose-colored glasses. The, the process almost guarantees it, and that almost is a key word. Um, but when you're looking to buy a business, it, it's not like walking into the to Walmart and buying a, a case of Coca-Cola. Uh, not anybody can do it. There, there's a process and it's a lengthy process. Uh, it requires attention and focus uh, on the part of everybody involved. And if someone is not a good fit, it, it, it seems to me that it's almost human nature that through that due diligence process, it's going to fall apart. And it's going to fall apart for a reason that nobody is upset about because sometimes it just doesn't work out and it's not meant to work out. Um, but do I have the, the vision to say this seller is going to be, or I'm sorry, this buyer is, is going to be successful or they're not, uh, I don't, uh, or maybe I do. And my expectation that they're all going to be successful is predominantly correct. So in 15 years, um, hundreds of transactions, um, I, 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 apparently need to update the CV. Um, again, many of those, uh, papered by Carmen Marzella, Mar- Marzella Law Group out of Cary, North Carolina, um, I've only had three transactions that the buyers went out of business that I'm aware of. Now, granted, I don't have vision on all the hundreds of transactions, but there's three that, are, that I'm aware of. And I'm uh, a told by a, a, a loan packager that I've, I've worked with for many years and done hundreds of transactions with, that none, not a single inline business broker's transaction, where the buyer had a commercial loan which is virtually all of them that was backed by the SBA so it had an SBA guarantee on their commercial loan SBA small business administration again virtually every commercial loan is going to have an SBA guarantee because it's insurance for the bank in the event of a default not one SBA commercial loan default in 15 years through inline business brokers i'm told that's statistically impossible but it I think it speaks to my vision that I expect them to be successful because we we do have a process where we represent business sellers that are uh, probably pre-gamed to be successful they've been successful up to the point that they engaged us there's no reason to believe that a a new operator with with the tools and um, resources available to the seller also being available to the buyer that they wouldn't continue to be successful Uh, and again one of the the proudest moments I've, I've I ever experienced is when uh, a former buyer client becomes a seller client. And in, in, in two cases, mm-hmm. I've been on the sell side, the buy side, the sell side and the buy side and the sell side again, three times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, probably not the answer you were looking for, but the success rate when acquiring a business is, is statistically very high, whereas the success rate when starting a business if we're to believe statistics, which we've already acknowledged earlier in the podcast uh, can be used to prove anything after two years, approximately half are not successful. So a business broker who was going to admit their bias and wanting to help people buy and sell businesses because that's how they earn their living would tell you that the probability for success in buying a business is much higher and it's statistically higher with independent data than starting your own business. But a lot of times that has to do with the capital available because some people don't have the capital available to purchase a successful ongoing, uh, operating concern. So they start one and right. you know, there, there's certainly no shame in that. I've done, I've started companies myself. I've bought companies myself, different times in your life, different times in your career. Right. You know, Sometimes, uh, one just makes more sense than the other. That's awesome.
0: Folks, we're talking with Jeff Snell and uh, CEO, and also the founder of Inline Business and Brokers. And uh, Jeff, uh, we're 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 gonna. We're, I know that you've been gracious. You've given me more time. We've had a couple of glitches because we've been down, thanks to Hurricane Matthew, and you know, special thanks to Hurricane Matthew, and special <laughs> thanks also to uh, La Jolla Writers Conference for being a sponsor of today's show and sponsoring Jeff, and of course, a new direction and. Uh, so we thank you, and, and if you want to find out more information about the La Jolla Writers Conference which is being held October 26th through 28th at the Hyatt Regency, La Jolla, just go to La conferencecom That's La Jolla, L-A-J-O-L-L-A, uh, WritersConference.com. It's a great conference. It's it's also put on by, got to be. I'm going to be biased here as well, it's put on by my publicist who founded the La Jolla Writers Conference, and my publicist, StrategiesPR.com has been an amazing group of people that I've been able to work with and I'm telling you They have taught me so much about how to save money writing a book and getting it published getting it into bookstores And and, and that whole thing so I really highly recommend La Jolla Writers um, The La Jolla Writers Conference um, Because it's going to be great and I think maybe next year I'll actually be speaking at that conference So that's pretty cool too. So Jeff as we kind of wrap wrap things up here. First of all, I want to just say thank you. You've been amazing, and I knew you would be, and and you were so gracious in doing this the last minute, and I am so thankful and grateful that you you did that for me, and, and so I'm, I just want to make sure that I acknowledge publicly my appreciation and gratitude, because I certainly am, and you've also been a great mentor to me, and you've listened to me, and I, I think that's one of the most amazing things about you is throughout all your success, you still take time out for people, and I think that's to me that is one of the most awesome things that I, about you that I think is is so amazing is that I know how busy you are. I know the type of person that you are and yet you just are able to take that kind of time out. so so thank you for doing that and then and then so one of the things I ask every guest to do at the end of every show is I ask them, you know the show's called a new direction. So if you were to kind of summarize, you know, helping people find a new direction when it comes to starting a business, buying a business, what would you, what would you say to help people get on that first baby step into starting a new direction in this
1: area? Well, wow, that, that's a, uh, a great question. The, um, the path to greatness is, uh, not paved. So the listeners that are interested in business ownership, I would, I'd, I'd, suggest that you you start looking just play you don't have to make a commitment the internet's almost free uh, certainly using uh websites like biz Buy sell uh, are free go on there and just look uh, educate yourself as to what's available and, and and pay special attention to how it's being marketed look at those price ratios that we talked about is it, it is the asking price two to three times uh, owner benefit or seller discretionary earnings um yep is it in a location that you like Is it an industry that you're interested in? And if you're serious, you need, you need to, you need to have this conversation with yourself about making a life change and potentially being more entrepreneurial and, and stepping into the role of a business owner. It's a big decision. It's exciting. Um, for those of us that have done it, I think virtually all of us would say there's nothing like it. It's, it's phenomenal and, and they would do it again every day if they had the chance. Um, but take a look at what's available. And, and if, if you're driven, if you feel that passion, if there's a fire, contact that, that seller's broker and, and have a conversation with them. You don't have to prove yourself to that broker. Business brokers deal with first time business owners every day of the week. We do not expect that you be experienced. We do not expect that you know the, the jargon. We don't expect that you know the legal uh, issues. We have transaction attorneys that help us with that. All we expect is that you be genuine, have an interest in, in the business that you're asking about, and a good broker is going to help you hold your hand and, and walk you through that process as far, as, as far through that process as you want to go. You have no obligation to make an offer, certainly no obligation to purchase, but get engaged. Show up, and uh, you might be surprised at what the outcome is.
0: That's awesome. And, and Jeff, last thing, how can people get a hold of
2: you?
1: Well, uh, probably the easiest way. Our website is uh, www.inline.com spelled E-N-L-I-G-N.com. Uh, one of my email addresses is jeff, J-E-F-F, at inline.com. Uh, my cell number is on the website. You know, I, I answer uh, every call that I can. It, it's fairly busy, but if I miss anyone and they leave a voicemail, I'll certainly call them back at my first opportunity.
0: So, ladies and gentlemen, I will be putting Jeff's information on the Jay Izzo website, and of course, that'll transfer over to whether it's Spotify, iTunes. But I will make sure that you see his logo. You will get the C- www.inlineenlign.com. You'll see Jeff's beautiful face also there as well, will, with the summary there at the com website. And that's J-A-Y-Z-S-O dot com. And, and check that out. But certainly you can find us iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, Google Play, Podcast Addicts, and, and so many other places. But Jeff will, Jeff's information
1: will be out there as
0: well. And so as we, Go ahead.
1: Well, I'd like to end by saying that you can count on Jay as being uh, completely authentic, reliable, and trustworthy Except when he says my beautiful face, which is <laughs> probably the, the largest misrepresentation uh, that you will hear this week, if not this year. Um, but otherwise, I, thank you very much for having me. It, it is an it's an honor. Um, you opened by talking about our friendship. I'd like to end the same way. I respect you, um, you know, as much or more than than anybody else I can think of. I appreciate what you do for me, my business, my family. Uh, and your listeners and your sponsors. This is a great show, and being a part of it's been been special. I hope I uh, have an opportunity to come back and and absolutely. perhaps talk on some other topics.
0: I, absolutely, I would love to do that with you. So I want you to stay stay with me as I close the show. So, hey, ladies and gentlemen, listen. This, we've been talking to Jeff Snell. He's been outstanding. You know what? He is the CEO, CEO, president, founder of Inline Business Brokers. But you know what, more than that, he's my friend and one of the things that I know about each of us is that Jeff inspires me as I try to inspire him but he inspires me and it it's it's part of this show is that we should inspire each other, that should be our goal. Because to help people find a new direction is if you're able to inspire someone else, you do not know what the possibilities that could be for them. It could be something as simple as a smile. It could be something as a strong handshake or just a simple word that says, you got this. Whatever it is, find a way to inspire others because when you inspire others, they're going to inspire others as well, and it just keeps going. I'm going to look forward to seeing you next week. We've got another terrific show, and I'm going to be very excited about it, and I promise you, remember, find yourself a new direction and just take one baby step at a time because one baby step will lead to the next, and that gets you into momentum, and I will talk to you next week. Ciao, Okay, wait. Wait everybody, wait! We've got bonus content. Don't don't hang up that. No, don't don't do not click the stop button. Don't don't even hit pause. All right, we've got bonus content here on a new direction. We were just talking with Jeff Snell, and we were talking about getting started in business, whether it's getting started as an entrepreneur or starting a new business, buying into a new business. But you know what? We've been going through Hurricane Michael here. I said Matthew. Apologize, but we're going through Hurricane Michael right now, and Michael has been interrupting our show at least a couple times. So Jeff Snell, COO and founder of Nline Business Brokers Advisors, had this great idea of saying, okay, what does a business owner do in a storm? And he came up with some really great ideas. So Jeff, talk to him, talk to us and my listeners and our listeners about, okay, so we've got Hurricane Michael. What does a business do?
1: All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate you guys hanging over for this bonus content. I hope it's going to be worth uh, every second and more of your time. And right now, we're obviously talking about Hurricane Michael because it's on top of both of us. Jay's at the beach at his beach house, a beautiful place, but, you know, the weather's not great. He's lost power a couple times in this last podcast. I'm sitting in Raleigh. The wind is blowing. Uh, It's raining i'm uh i'm hoping but not terribly concerned about trees falling in my house but anything can happen i work at home and i wanted to talk to you guys about preparing your business for a storm and i'm not selling insurance uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna mention a property and casual guy That that's not what this is about this is about protecting your business when the weather decides it's going to rear its head and potentially have an impact on your future success which none of us want to have weather have an adverse effect on our business so there's the obvious i mean we've got physical security if you're a retailer and you're in the face of a storm you, you're probably buying board and boarding that up okay that's common sense i'm not here to tell you that you know how to do that now if you have the capital and your business requires it let's say you're a technology company you better have a generator in the parking lot it better have auto switches meaning that when it senses the power goes off, it turns itself on. You want everything to be automated. Those are long-term or longer-term planning things. But let's talk about right now. The storm, uh, it's not on top of me right now. It's still coming this way. It's going to get worse before it gets better. What can I do? What can you do? And this might be Hurricane Michael if you're in the southeast today. If you're listening to this podcast in a year, it might be a a tornado in the Midwest, it might be a tsunami in California, it does not matter, it's whether it's out of our control, but what is in our control is protecting our businesses, and the scariest statistic I've ever seen, you know, I'm, I'm a skeptic when it comes to t- statistics, I've told people numbers can prove anything you want them to, so I don't quote specific numbers, but in the high 90 percentile, businesses that have lost their data are not in business after 24 months, If you lose your quickbooks file in 24 months statistically you're out of business i don't care if you're the largest company in north carolina or the smallest one the odds say if you lose your data you're done and that's sad because it's so easy to fix so number one on my digital checklist data data backups now obviously local backups are better than no backups but if you're flooded your local backup is gone too because that hard drive once it once it gets wet It might be recoverable, but it's not reliable. You don't wanna bet your business on that. Let's get an offsite cloud storage backup solution. Now, I'm not gonna plug any of them. I use one, it's a big name, you can Google it, you'll find dozens of them. But the point is, subscribe to a a service, it's probably gonna cost you $79 to $119 a year, depending on what service you get and which vendor you, you, you select. But backup everything business related. If you've got servers, You want to have a server contract i'm a smaller business Uh, everything that's important to me is on one pc but i've got it backing up it's it, it backs up in real time so that i can lose that computer i can use it i can lose it to a lightning strike i can lose it to a flood i can lose it to theft it doesn't matter because once i replace that hardware i can download it from the cloud from my service provider and i'm back in business and i'm not part of that 90 plus percent that's not likely to be in business in two years so that's, uh, th- that's the number one tip and trick when it comes to saving your business, when it comes to natural disasters or, or impending uh, bad weather. The second is make sure you have redundant internet access. So much of our businesses now have been pushed to the cloud. And we've got our accounting on the cloud. You know, we've got our marketing, you know, Facebook. Social media is obviously cloud-based, but if we can't access it, it's no longer part of our business. So make sure that you have redundant access. Now, it's not practical for most of us to have physical redundant lines coming to our business. So that would be, for example, um, AT&T Fiber and Google Fiber. Uh, You could have both. There's even very intelligent, fancy switches that will auto switch and load balance between them. But for most of us, that's not cost uh, effective. So make sure that you know how to tether your cell phone To your computer sounds very simple and it is very simple most plans allow it but you need to know how to do it Uh, on my phone i actually require a usb connection because the bluetooth doesn't happen to work well i know that and i know that before the storm i know how to get redundant internet access if i need to tethering my cell phone to my computer but if you've not tried it and you've not tested it you probably should so what are we what are we thinking about on a more global level when it comes to employees Well, do we want our employees driving around when the wind's blowing and trees are falling and branches are falling out of the sky? No, we we really don't. It's not good for their safety. It's not good for our image. It's not pro-employees. So this- All right, so ironically, while we're talking about uh, storms and uh, preparation, planning, uh, we lost our connection, Jay and I uh, at at his beach house and me and Raleigh with the storm. Uh, Electricity is an issue, so- uh nothing better than uh nature to point out the the very issues that we're talking about so we, we were last talking about um my words allowing employees to work from home but in fact allowing i don't like that word uh, we're 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 having them work from home and we're testing how that works from a technology perspective an effectiveness and efficiency perspective i think in most cases it's a positive thing i'm not saying shut down your your uh, corporate locations and and your retail locations. But I think it's great for everybody to have a plan B in the event of inclement weather or anything else that you can communicate and conduct business when you're not physically together uh, as you usually are in your office. So while we're talking about offices, uh, whether you are in your office or at home, we haven't talked about this in probably decades because it's, technically old technology, and that's uninterruptible power supplies. I owned a technology services company for seven years. It was my first business sale, which led me to, to become the business broker that I am today. And I, I could not be more familiar with all the brands, you know, phase technology, uh, backups, the surge protectors. Believe me, from a technical perspective, I know all of that. But embarrassingly, about six months ago, I was talking
0: We're still, I, we lost power supply. We just lost Jeff had, for a second, but he's back now. I'm, so, we, sorry, Jeff, we lost you for about 30 seconds
1: there. All right. Well, so <laughs> let, let's rewind the tape going back to, to UPS systems. I, I was just saying that, uh, you know, in a prior life, I owned a technology company. Um, if I know anything, it's uh, uninterruptible power supplies, phase inverters uh load balancers surge protection you know i get all that but embarrassingly six months ago i was talking to my second largest client we're we're editing a spreadsheet we're actually doing a a business valuation recast and the power went out at my house the weather wasn't even bad it was you know sometimes somebody hits a a pole on the street at the top of the road and you lose power well that's what happened and i lost all my my data the changes that i had made during that call was very frustrating so it reminded me you know what your apc surge protector, um, died, I don't know, three, four or five years ago, didn't bother to replace it. Well, you need to have a a UPS on your, your computer at work and at home. So we're talking about how to prepare your business for a storm, having uninterrupted power supplies. It's not only good for a storm, it's good all the time. So let's get away from the blocking and tackling of how to defend ourselves against bad weather. And I'm wrapping up bonus content, Let's talk briefly about how do you turn a storm situation into a marketing opportunity? Well, you guys probably know Jay is an incredibly successful speaker, author, uh, incredible person. He, he's an advisor. He doesn't claim to be, but he gives great business advice as well. But he's also married to an incredible woman who's an incredible business person, Linda Kraft. She owns a, um, arguably the, the best residential uh, residential. Um, brokerage in Wake County. She also has a commercial craft commercial division, which is very successful and growing. Uh, she is also a marketing genius. Hand in hand with Jay being a marketing genius, but together, I think they'll appreciate this last segment of my bonus content, which is marketing. And you're asking, what are you talking about marketing? Is that this is Hurricane Michael? You know, cars are being flooded, homes are being flooded. Uh, potentially, and unfortunately I've heard a, a, a couple of lives have already been lost and potentially more. I'm not looking at writing on the backs of devastation and negativity. That, that would not be what any of us are about, but legitimately, when we have a storm, what can we do to market our businesses that's not offensive and not inappropriate? Well, I would tell you that you should take the opportunity on social media to post whether you're open or not, let your employees, your customers know that you you'll be available or not, or how you will be available alternatively if you're not in your places of, of normal business. Let them know how to contact you. Let them know that through this storm, you were available. Now, what else can you do? You can leverage media outlets that otherwise most small businesses cannot, will not, or couldn't afford. So how do you do that? Well, radio stations and TV stations are, are all about protecting their communities. They want to provide announcements about what's going on in the area as it relates to the storm and the businesses. Go ahead and submit to your radio stations and your local television stations, your operating hours and your disaster plans. Let your employees and your customers know, this is how we're reacting to this weather situation or this, this natural disaster. And at the very least, they see your name, they see your logo and they see that you care. So. Wrapping up all these three talking points of physical safety, we wanna board up our physical um, offices, our our retail locations, assuming that we have the time to do so safely. Long-term planning, we wanna have power redundancy. We wanna have generators that will be auto switching so that when we do lose power, we have power back and we can continue operations. Digitally, we wanna make sure that all of our mission critical data Certainly our accounting data, but our client data, contracts, everything that's on our servers and on our, our main PCs is being backed up remotely, meaning not at our physical locations, not your place of business, not your home, but the cloud. We want to go to a third-party resource where everything is, you know, in a, uh, a data center that has terabytes and terabytes of data that they're then backing up again so that we're not falling victim to the statistic of 24 months after a data loss, we're we're not in business anymore. Uh, we want to have redundant internet access at a very high, sophisticated level. That means hard lines with uh, with switches that are or load balancing and uh, auto switching. But at a very basic level, we want to tether our cell phones. It's not high tech, but you got to test it. The first time I did it, it didn't work. Probably the first couple times I tested, it, it didn't work. But now I know that it works and it it, it provides a uh, a level of comfort that's important in protecting our business and making sure that we can serve our clients and be in contact with our employees. So let our employees in bad weather work from home. Let's give them the tools that they need to be effective. Uh, let's have UPS, uh, uninterruptible power supplies on our computers simply so that in any event, whether it's a major weather event where somebody hits a telephone pole on the corner, we're not going to lose our data. We're also not going to have to have a hard restart that could corrupt our operating system and whatnot. And then finally as we said on marketing let's take advantage not unfair advantage but let's take advantage of the marketing opportunity to announce in social media radio and television what our intentions are on how we're going to work to support our clients and communicate with our employees during inclement weather
0: wow wow folks First time ever on A New Direction, we unleashed bonus content. That's right. We unleashed bonus content and how fitting it was during Hurricane Michael and having Jeff Snell, COO, founder of Inline Business Brokers. Just check out www.inlineenlign.com. That's Inline.com. Check him out. He was so gracious to call me back said, I got some additional content, and he gave it to us right there. Jeff. Awesome. I mean I love every one of those points. We we've gone through all this stuff. I don't have a generator here. I probably need to come up with a backup plan for that here for sure to if I'm gonna to continue to do my radio show in the middle of a hurricane. So I need to do that for sure. That that's cool. That was really great stuff. Folks, remember reach out to Jeff if you want to learn anything about this about buying selling a business. You want to go with inline business advisors. And again, it's www.inline.com. E-N-L-I-G-N dot com. Check them out. They have a great website. It's easy to access, easy to get around. Jeff is available to be contacted. His actually his cell phone's right there, but you can contact him by email as well. Check him out. He's all over social media. Inline has a Facebook page. They're part of LinkedIn. They're also part of Twitter. So check them out. I'm telling you, you really want to get as much information as you can and I'm telling you he's the person that can do it Jeff thanks again for this bonus content this is outstanding thank you so much
1: absolutely absolutely Jay thank you for the opportunity thank you for uh, giving me access to all your listeners I hope that they found value in the discussion about uh, business acquisition and startups uh, as well as this little uh, bonus content about how to make sure we're prepared when uh, the unexpected happens. So, thank you very much. Enjoyed the opportunity, and of course, uh, as always, our friendship. Thank you very much, Jay. Oh,
0: thanks. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. And uh, so, all right, everybody, that was that was the show. Wow, bonus content show. All right, check us out next week. All right, everyone. All right, I'll look forward to seeing you then.